Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. And welcome back to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. I am Kurt Heelan, the managing editor of Pro Basketball Talk, with you as always. Today's podcast is all Lakers, all the time. And uh, joining me to help me through that is Bill Orem of the Orange County Register, uh, a brand new father. And if you're going to have to sprint walk through an airport to catch your flight, this is the guy you want to do it with. How's it going, Bill? I like to think I was kind of the pace car and and and. As we, as we got through Minneapolis the other day. <laughs> I, I was surprisingly tired by the end of that. I don't know what it was. I'm like, I, I try to exercise. I try to run. I shouldn't be that tired from that walk. And yet I was like halfway through. I'm like, man, that is a huge airport. I think it's also the stress element of like watching the, the, you know, the, the, the second hand on your watch tick as you realize your flight is just getting closer and closer to leaving and you're more and more likely to getting stuck in the upper Midwest overnight. Yeah. Which is not what you wanted after spending five days in Toronto, yeah. zero weather. So I think we were all, I think, I think, I think the tiredness came from the stress that was associated with making our flight. Exactly. I, I will say too. I, you know, I took the voucher to get moved on to that flight from one earlier in the day, and then talked to somebody who flew that back earlier in the day. Uh, Jay Adande flew it back, and he was telling me at the Laker game the other night. No, uh, actually, that flight got delayed, and I would have been stuck in Detroit for for an extended period of time and and uh, who knows when I would have gotten back so I'm I'm glad we made that. Uh now that we've like you actually you actually like won the day. You actually figured out like the the savviest way around it. You got you got free flights and yeah. and got home faster. Yes, that that is my one good move for the month. So now I I don't have to do anything smart for the rest of the month. Um it's we'll actually move out of airplane talk, <laughs> airport talk onto uh, the the purpose of the podcast which is to talk a little Lakers with you. Um you know, I, I feel like if we're going to talk about the Lakers, a conversation kind of has to start with Byron Scott because with Laker fans, he's you know, I, did he seem to get a longer leash because he's a former Lakers star with the fans than say like Mike D'Antoni or Mike Brown did, or is that just me? I don't know if it's a longer leash because I mean, really, we're only in his second season and everybody wants him fired, basically. So I'm not sure that that's a very long leash at all. But I do think he came in with um, more, he was given more of the benefit of the doubt. Initially, I think I think if the Lakers had conducted a thorough external search, and, and you could argue they did by interviewing Alvin Gentry and and I guess Mike Dunleavy, but but really, I think I think fans just accepted that he was the right guy in many in many ways because he was a former Laker, rather than putting him through the ringer of, of the vetting process that that I think that just sort of happens as teams publicly go through their list of candidates. I think if the Lakers go through that again this year. I think they're going to probably be much more uh, skeptical of candidates that are, are, are put forward in the public forum. Whereas I think Byron Scott was kind of given a pass because everybody was so fond of him because D'Antoni felt like such a departure from what the Lakers were about in that it was it was losing and it was and it was a different style of play. I think Byron Scott just felt safe, and given that the Lakers were at the beginning of their free fall, I think safe. Was what the was what fans kind of wanted because safe has always meant championships, and I think now there's a realization that that Lakers aren't always going to be the best solution for the Lakers moving forward, especially when you're you know dealing with you know Lakers from the '80s. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think though with you know management, there's been um, an understanding. I think you know the fans are a little put off by Scott and the and the development questions, and we'll get to that. But there was an understanding from management that part of his job 
and really part of whoever got this jo guy, job for the next couple years with the Lakers was to guide the Kobe retirement tour, whether it was going to be official like it became uh, or not. I mean, isn't that part of what he's kind of been asked to do and uh, is, is like, keep Kobe front and center, give him the spotlight, let that happen? And that has absolutely um, unfolded, just as you've described. I mean, Kobe has the spotlight, and, and really anything else that's happening is happening in the background. And I think, I think that, though, there was also an expectation that you would be seeing some sort of on-court progress, some sort of chemistry, cohesion. I think they wanted the Lakers to be a little more fun. I mean, this team has just oodles of young talent that, by the way, they didn't really have when they, when they hired Byron Scott. They, did, they had Julius Randle drafted, but they were really pretty committed to, dra to hiring Byron before they drafted Julius Randle. And, and then you added Jordan Clarkson, who nobody saw coming, and D'Angelo Russell. This team should be one of the fun young teams in the league. And for whatever reason, and you can say it's Kobe, they aren't. But I think, I think you can make a pretty strong argument that, that you should be able to have both. You should be able to have a, a really fun young team, and also you can have Kobe playing his 25 minutes and taking his 19 shots, but finding a way to balance that. And that's, that's kind of what Byron's job has become. And, and, and you haven't gotten that, that balance of having both of those things. No, and I, I, you brought something up I was going to get to later, but let's get to it now, which was, how, I mean, it seems like, at least from being around that team and, and watching them, that the Kobe, the Kobe show has become a, a distraction from developing players. And like you said, I don't know that it needed to be that. I don't know why there couldn't be both, uh, albeit, you know, if Kobe's on the floor, Kobe's going to have the ball in his hands a lot and take some contested twos, and that's going to take the ball out of, you know, D'Angelo Russell's hands. And, and maybe you needed to, you know, uh, platoon their minutes a bit. But sure. it, it seems like it's one or the other with, with Byron. It's not both. Well, and you, and, and you bring up an interesting point as well. I don't know if you saw the interview that Sam Amick, you know, say today, did with Jeannie Buss. Yeah, that, um, yes, it is. Circulating this morning. But it seems like that's kind of reached a tipping point, that, that, that Kobe overload. Because you have Jeannie telling Sam that she doesn't understand why it had to be this way, why Kobe had to completely steal the show and why it has to be all Kobe and why everybody else gets a pass. Because she points out Kevin Garnett has taken a back seat in, in Minnesota. And by the way, that is one of the fun, really fun yeah. young teams. And Dwayne Wade in Miami has, has, has worked well with young players. And, and suddenly there's this perception that it doesn't really matter what else the Lakers have. Um, it's, it's all about Kobe. And by the way, that's not aided by Mitch Kupchak coming out last month and saying, First priority is getting Kobe through this last season, but I think I think you're I think you're right. I think that this this, this has become entirely the Kobe Bryant show, as opposed to as opposed to finding that balance. Now, I will say I think that you are starting to see the, the page turned a little bit with Byron last night in Chicago putting putting D'Angelo Russell back in the starting lineup, and and you have finally for the first time in two months you have Jordan Clarkson, Julius Randle, D'Angelo Russell starting together along with along with Kobe and, and Roy Hibbert. And so I do think there's going to be a real opportunity to see that group start to kind of develop together. But but you had Jordan Clarkson starting the whole time. You had D'Angelo Russell coming off the bench. You had Julius Randle kind of doing both. So that I think that like what Byron's instinct was at the beginning of the year probably made the most sense, at least externally. Keep those three guys together. So whatever it is they're doing, they're doing it together. Yeah. I mean, I even sort of jokingly, but also not, back in like November, suggested that all three of those guys should come off the bench. Because if you're going to have a dog and pony show with Kobe Bryant, which this is, let him go out and start and play that first rotation. And then the bench unit comes in and it's those three young guys together playing, playing in, playing playing at the same time. And, yeah. and Byron sort of went that way when he did D'Angelo and, and Julius off the bench, but obviously left Jordan, kind of broke up that group, and they didn't play a ton of minutes together. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing over the last 25 games. Like, Kobe Bryant has probably, has probably you know, juiced this farewell season, you know, to a pulp. You know, pretty much everything he's gotten out of it, he's going to get out of it. There will still be some moments, there will still be some, you know, some memory shared. But, like, it's really time to kind of see what those young players can do in some time on the court together late in games over the final 25 uh, games. Yeah, and if you listen to what D'Angelo Russell's comments were during this time, it, it to me, you know, he was saying, he, I think very honestly, like, I don't know what I don't know. I've got to be guided. I've got to be taught. He sounded like a guy hungry for knowledge, like a guy who wanted the minutes and the ball in his hand, but also wanted to be 
coached up in a way that I'm not sure he was getting. Yeah, and, and look, I think I, I I don't think the Lakers coaching staff has in any way neglected Julie or excuse me, no, Angelo yeah. Russell. I mean, you see you see these guys working with him exhaustively, whether it's whether it's Byron talking him through things after practice, um, down to you know the coaches at the end of the bench like JJ Outlaw and Thomas Scott. I mean, they're working with him all the time, and so I, I I'm, I'm not sure I'm not sure what exactly. That means when he says he's not, he doesn't know what to ask. I'm not sure where the disconnect is because I know the coaching staff believes they're putting in everything they have into him. And so if he's not feeling like he's getting it, I don't know if there's a communication barrier or if that's just him trying to justify kind of the issues that come with youth. I'm not entirely sure. But I thought his comments last night after his first start were really telling because he has said since he went to the bench in Toronto in December, you know, after an initial, after initially showing some dissatisfaction, he said, "I don't care. I don't care. I'm just going to play." You know, which which is what you want him to say, but you also kind of want him to be honest and 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 show some fire. And I thought last night he did he did finally say, "You think of your best players as your starters." Yeah. And I want to have that competitive drive to be the best player. And so basically, what he was saying was for his own motivation, he really wanted that starting job. So he has it. Now he added that he was going to do everything he could to show that he should have been starting all along to, to prove to Byron or to kind of force Byron to keep him there, to force him to be closing games. And I really liked that. I, I think D'Angelo Russell's gotten a little bit scared off by the media um, at times this year. He's kind of retreated into himself. He was very um, forthright when he was first drafted. If you remember the draft combine, he just very mm. frankly said he was the best player there. You don't hear things like that from him anymore, and I and I felt like last night was a return to him, you know, really stating the way he felt, being kind of that cocky kid that, frankly, yeah. probably is part of the attitude that makes him very good when he's thriving. And so I like I like hearing that again. And that was a part of the challenge, though, because you want to drive that, but I think part of what was going on with By- uh, with Byron Scott trying to put him on the bench and keep him in check was Byron Scott thought his ego was out of control, and I don't think he was alone in the organization that they, that they needed to rein that in a little bit. Oh, absolutely. That's absolutely true. They, they felt like he needed almost kind of like a little bit to be put in his place, Yeah, which, which is hard. I mean, the kid is making a million dollars. He just was drafted number two overall, and, and honestly, I think a lot of that falls on Byron, I mean, Byron comes out at, at the press conference and they draft D'Angelo Russell and says he's, he passes as well as anybody he's seen since Magic. I mean, I mean, so it's like you're setting that bar so high right off the bat that I, I think that it's not a surprise that he would come in with, with a big head. But I, I do think that there probably needed to be a way to like kind of make him understand what the job is and the mental aspect and the, and the responsibility that goes into the job without without killing his spirit. And I think that at times this year, you know, from what I observed, D'Angelo Russell was a guy who really had, had been beaten down. And, mm. and, that's, and that's too bad when you're somebody who's 19. And obviously a very long career ahead of him, and I think he's going to be just fine. But, like, when you're in our position and you're charting every single day of, of, of progress and regression and, and all that, it, it, it was notable. It was, and it's, it's frustrating because, A, the guy you're celebrating this season with Kobe – Hey, guess who came in with a bigger ego? Like, guess who came in and challenged every veteran to one-on-one games and used to just, just thought he was that. And, you know, it's a different person. That's part of what drives Kobe. But you've got to find a way to, I, I understand the teaching and the job part, but I don't think, like you said, you want to kill that spirit. And it seemed like he was more disciplining a child at points, Scott, with, with Russell, rather than, like, trying to grow a professional basketball player. Well, what's interesting is, is, is Byron's even made that analogy himself, where he's when we talk about like not knowing him, not, Russell not knowing what to ask. Byron said sometimes he'd have to talk to him like he's a two-year-old. So I think that I think the generational gap is 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 maybe a little bit in play here, where Byron isn't entirely sure how to communicate with a 19-year-old, um, or at the very least, that's something he's had to learn. I don't want to say that it's not something he is capable of, but maybe it's something he's had to learn or refine as he's gotten older, and, and inevitably players have. have younger yeah well i think byron needs to learn how to use emojis in the scouting reports and then he'll... <laughs> it's like you see like he's like he's like the uh, paul pierce uh image of the rocket ship exactly 
<laughs> exactly. It's like, is this an emoji? Um, I, I think the, cons- you know, like we've said, in for we're both, you know, you obviously and I are both based out in Los Angeles. The, the fans here are ready to tar and feather uh, Byron Scott and run him out of town, which meant when Mike Bresnahan made his report about the front office being torn about Scott, it raised a lot of eyebrows. Um, is Was that... T- was that, is there genuine, and you're closer to this than I am, is there genuine people being torn there? Or was this, hey, again, this is a famous Laker that we are fond of and we're not going to kick him out the door. We're going to, you know, he's not going to be back, but we're not going to make it look that bad. I think that the point of contention is over whether they put Byron in a position to succeed. Because... Look, I mean, he was brought in, like, like, like you alluded to earlier, to, to help usher Kobe out and usher in whatever the next era was going to be. And nobody was quite sure back then in the summer of 2014 what that next era was, but whoever the next coach was was going to have to bridge that transition. And even if the biggest job was um, to, to get Kobe out gracefully, once Kobe was gone, there had to be something, some real meat there to move forward with. And I think that that's where... The, the feeling is no, you didn't. It wasn't an easy job, and Kobe is not an easy guy to manage, or it's impossible to manage Kobe. But but then you have to say, well, what did what has he done to get us to the next to the next stage, the next era? How ready is D'Angelo Russell, Julius Randle? How ready are these guys to really you know take the bull by the horns? And and I think that that's probably where the contention is. And, and from my understanding. It has less to do with Byron being a, a showtime Laker. I think that that part has kind of been played out. I don't think that there's going to be – there will be some sentimentality, obviously, but, but not enough to, like, keep him from spy, being fired. I think it has more to do with the fact that they recognize he was dealt a bad hand and he's done an okay job with it. But, I mean, the optics of it alone are probably enough to fire the guy when you're looking at the fact that he was brought in to write a ship that had just set a team record for, 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 for losses. And that was when Mike D'Antoni's team went 27 and 55. This team would kill <laughs> be 27 and 55. Yeah. Like, can you imagine that would be that? Would, like, if this team could somehow win 16 of their final 25 games, like that, and go and, and get to 27 and 55, Byron might win Coach of the Year at this <laughs> point. But but instead, rather rather than like get things going in the right direction, they they win. Uh, 21 games last year, and they're at 11 with 25 to go now. So, so they're really going to set records in three straight years for losses, it looks like. I, I don't know how you keep going forward with the same guy unless you're really certain that he is the right guy who buys into your system and that you guys are just a, like a one unit. Like kind of you see in Philadelphia where Brett Brown and, and Hinky and, and you know, like that's just, that, that's almost like they're all in that together. There's no sense in changing the coaching staff, but I mean, really, I think we're heading to a situation where, you know, in another year or so, you might be seeing, you know, complete overhaul in the in not just on the bench, but in the front office. And we know about the timeline that Jim Buss set for himself um, through next year, and that's a pretty high bar when you talk about, you know, getting to the Western Conference Finals or being a, a team that has a shot at the Western Conference Finals. And 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 if that if that means Mitch Kupchak as well, I mean, this could just be a completely different organization if things don't get better quickly. Actually, that was going to be my my next topic. I mean, you start this. I don't think you can start discussing who's the next coach and the system. And by the way, in in Philadelphia, to their defense, a that team plays hard for Brett Brown. B, yes. you even before they got Ish Smith and and actually you know put a legitimate NBA point guard on the floor, um, they you could see the system. You could see what he was trying to do. You could see what he was trying to build. It's kind of like Malone in Denver. Like you can really start to see what they're constructing. I've never gotten that sense with the Lakers. I have no idea what, I, what they're doing. I, I agree. And I think, I think the thing with like Brett Brown is like, I mean, I, I don't know quite how, 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 how to term it, but he definitely has, you know, comes from that Spurs tree, which is, which I think maybe gets overvalued, but also has a ton of value. And, and, is, is a guy that you could say is kind of a basketball visionary. He's very, he's very progressive. You can, like you said, you can see the system kind of taking shape. You can see where he's going, even if it's a long road. With Byron Scott, I'm not sure that you see that same, you know, complexity of or intricacy of, of planning and detail. It, it seems a lot more like in a in a 
in an NBA where surgery is being performed with scalpels, he's using at times as you know like a rusty hatchet. Yeah, it's it, it's it's surgery out of the nick. It's 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 a century old. And for anybody who hasn't watched that, by the way, on Showtime, go find the Nick. It's a it's they're just finished season two. It's I think one of my three or four favorite things on television right now. So there, there's my weekly television plug. Go find the Nick with uh, Clive Owen, um, Steven Soderbergh, I believe, is the is the producer. Brilliant stuff, and it's about a turn a turn of the century, not turn of this last century, turn nineteen hundred. You know, turning nineteen hundred. Uh, hospital with what was cutting edge surgery then and is it's a it'll it'll make you thank god for the medical advances we have seen since then um but to get on to the other question it, i don't think you can start to discuss who's the next laker coach without getting into the other thing you mentioned which is simply that what who whoever they pick i mean whoever assuming that they do it this summer so you've got jim buss and mitch kupchak they're picking somebody who's got to win for them pretty quickly because otherwise you are going to see a major organizational overhaul either the next summer or the one after that. Well, I, what I think is interesting and I think puts Jeannie Buss in a very tough position is if, 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 if the goal is to give Jim and Mitch this summer as well to see what they can do from a personnel standpoint, from a player personnel standpoint, it's hard to also have them make a coaching change. And what I mean is, those yeah. if you're giving them an extra year, are you, are you sure you want them to be the guys who are hiring your next coach? Because the last three coaching hires, you can get into who actually made those hires. If if Jerry, you know, bus on his deathbed was 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 was, was asking for Mike D'Antoni, but but the last three coaching hires, regardless of how you you cut it have been disasters. Mike Brown, Mike D'Antoni, Byron Scott, and Mitch Kupchak, Jim Buss have been at the helm for those. But you want them making another coaching hire. And and that's fine if you do, but if but if you have them make another coaching hire and then they're trying to put together a roster to save their to save their jobs for next year, suddenly in another year, theoretically, you could have a new set of executives coming in who suddenly have a coach who they didn't hire. Yeah. And then that creates a disconnect where maybe you're looking at replacing another coach, you know, in not in in in, sh- in short order again, and that's the sort of cycle you don't want to get into. No, you don't want you, you're 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 starting to become the Sacramento Kings in the sense of like we're going to change our system every year, like new coach, yeah. new system, new everything, and, and there's no consistency. And you've got to you've got to from top down pick a style, pick an or you know, pick, mm-hmm. and and go through it. Um, Otherwise, you know, look, if you don't think consistency matters, go, yeah, there's a lot of talent in Memphis and there's, you know, Al Horford and all these guys in Atlanta, but look at how much that consistency matters to those teams going farther than they probably should with the sum of their parts um, just because players get comfortable with each other, get to know each other, know how to run the system. Everybody knows what's expected. The Lakers are obviously nowhere near that. Um can here's the next question though, and I, you may know more about this. I know it's a complex trust that the Lakers are kind of managed by now that was left by Jerry Buss that leaves Jeannie as the overall final voice and in control of the business side, but gives Jim the the basketball side. Can, can she remove him? Uh, yeah, my understanding is that yeah, she has the the authority to do that, and I mean she's the she's the top decision maker. Yeah. Um, kind of overall the, the umbrella of the Lakers. I'm not sure if that if that requires her going and getting the support of her other siblings or if she can do it with autonomy, but but that that that's her job. She is she's the fine she's the final decider on things like that. Okay. So she because obviously he doesn't lose and his And also and also if Jeannie were to go to Jim and Mitch, if Jeannie were to go to Jim and say this is over, we're going a different direction. I don't think he'd put up a huge fight either. I think that I think that there is an understanding that it is a family trust, and Jeannie is the Jeannie's the boss. So I think I don't I think I think that would get a lot uglier than anyone would want. Either of them would want it to get if, if he was to, if he was to fight that. It, it could, and it. But he doesn't lose his share of the team. He he'd still have some role, right? I mean, he right. All all six siblings have varying degrees of role and and some ownership of the right. team. I mean, correct? It would be purely as is the title, uh, vice president of basketball ops, or 
executive vice president, whatever it is right now, that would he would that would that would change. But he would remain, you know, an owner who'd have a sixth of you know a one sixth vote for for team decisions, things like that. Okay. If do you think that they could make that move this summer? I mean, you're, you're, the point about the coach isn't something I'd really thought through because the you know the timeline had been laid out, and even Jeannie talking to like you said to Sam Amick today and and uh, Jeff from over at USA Today kind of said, look, that's the timeline. But you're right. Is it something that they could make a move on this summer? I haven't. So, so we're now purely in the speculation yes, zone yes. here. But but I I could certainly see them saying them deciding that it was it's a time for a completely clean slate. I could see Jeannie coming and saying this is the time where we turn everything over, which is we need a new coach, we need a new organizational top-down philosophy, we're going to do it all at once, we're not going to start in the middle with a coach. And I don't know if that means that like Mitch and Jim get fired necessarily, but maybe it's maybe it's bringing in, you know, uh, you know I, I don't even know who this is, but if, if, you, if you bring in another, um, somebody else into the front office who has a certain degree of authority. Um, you know, you have assistant general managers in, in Jesse Buss and, and Ryan West, but may, maybe it's maybe it's um, you know an assistant uh, general manager with some with with a higher level of authority or something like that to kind of phase as an heir apparent to Mitch Kupchak, somebody external. I mean, one thing that is just kind of astonishing about the Lakers front office—they haven't brought anybody in from the outside in two decades, and so it's been kind of this one way of thinking for a very, very long time. And I, I've, I've wondered, I've, covered, I've only covered the Lakers here for three years, but I've wondered what that would look like if somebody were brought in from another organization with a different way of thinking, different perspectives. How different would, would, would things look? Because I do think that we find ourselves kind of in the situation where the Laker way wins out, and it hasn't been working the last few years. No. But, I mean, to your original question, I think, I think that, this season is is a real disaster. I mean, eleven wins through 56, 57 games is is you know second worst record in the NBA. I mean that's that's a disaster for the sixteen time champion Lakers. Jeannie Buss has a ton of pride. She does not like seeing the Lakers being the you know a laughing stock or the butt of jokes. I mean that's something she takes very personally. And I do believe that she is a ruthless enough businesswoman to make whatever decision it is to to reverse that. So I think in that sense, it's possible. Yeah, it is. I will tell you my dealings with her, which are, I, I, look, going back a long time to when another lifetime and another journalistic lifetime for me when I was covering more hockey for a, a couple publications. And remember, if you remember, there was a, a professional roller hockey league that also played out of the forum back in the day. And she walked into the meeting with a group of us who were, and I was with the media, but with a, a media that was a rights holding sponsor. It's a long story. Um, and you, she walked in and your first thought is, wow, she is attractive. And like two minutes into the meeting, you're like, oh my God, she's the smartest person in this room. And she's like, she's, if she touches it and says it's going to happen, it's going to work. Like she's got a really great, fantastic business mind. And I, I, I'm with you. I think that if, I think she sees the value in this brand, and if she sees the value in this brand hurting, and by the way, TV ratings are down this year in spite of Kobe, and it's not going to be pretty next year. Um, mm-hmm. And and not completely, but there are financial ties to that massive television deal. Like they they do have givebacks if um, if the ratings hit certain numbers. So um, there there are concerns there that they need to get this thing rolling again sooner rather than later, and it might be needed for that kind of shift. Obviously, the name, the first name that's going to come up is Phil Jackson. Sure. Would they go yeah, there? One, I don't see that happen. I'm not, and again, I, I'd have to be reminded what his what his buyout or his, his opt out is with the Knicks is. But it's not this summer. He's locked in for another year. Um, I do think that it's entirely possible that in one more year, um, that would not surprise me at all. Um, do I think that is the right decision? I. I don't know. I think I, I think that I think the Lakers would probably be well served to kind of get out of the same um, yeah. gene pool that, that they that they've been in for the last the last twenty years um, and, and move forward. But but Jeannie obviously has a very um, very intimate relationship with Phil, and 
it probably makes more sense for them to be in the same organization than in, than in different organizations. I think that's definitely going to be in play if they don't if they don't change things up and 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 hire some you know top level management this year. I think that when Phil becomes available, if the Lakers are still in the market, it's going to be a natural fit. I think there is. I think you would see that. Although I think that there would be something to be said for, like you said, going outside and bringing in somebody who has experience building a franchise. And and um, I, I don't want to say who told me this because we started. To, I had this kind of conversation with someone the other night at the game. But um, the name that came up was Neil Olshay. And I'm like, mm-hmm. see, to me that would be ideal if you could get somebody like that who is look for people who don't know is got Portland right now. You know, this is the Portland Trailblazers that were supposed to be in the, you know, they were supposed to be down with the Lakers near the bottom of the conference and are, are the yeah. seventh seed and on a hot streak. And before that, well, were the, the Clippers. The conference. Like, if you go yeah. back to, this, you know, September, August, when, when we were all saying, you know, rank, doing our rankings, everyone was saying that the Blazers were going to be the one team that were worse than the Lakers in the West. Yeah. And, that and, obviously hasn't happened. And before that, he was the guy who built the current, basically the core of the current Clipper roster. Before He was the guy before Doc Rivers. Um, and, and then he went to Portland because he was still working for the previous owner, which was less than ideal. Uh, it wasn't necessarily, working for Donald Sterling is an awkward and not always great working situation. And uh, say what you will about Paul Allen, I, I think he enjoys that a lot more. But if that's a guy you can, now, that would be a great guy to get, but you need somebody, if it's not him, it's somebody of that ilk who has experience building a, a franchise. I think Phil Jackson's done a nice job in New York, although, to be honest, Phil Jackson gets $12 million a year to keep James Dolan away from basketball decisions. Like, that, that is half the gig. Like, he, got, he nailed Porzingis. He's actually done, you know, look, Grant and some of the guys, you know, that, that they've got now, um, the, the, the younger players they've got, they, they're building a nice little core there. But as long as you can keep James Dolan away from basketball decisions, you will make better decisions. Like, that is half the game for him. Well, and with Phil, I mean, you're dealing with the same situation where he made a coaching hire that did not work out at all. Yeah. Um, and and, I, and how he ends up handling this situation with Carmelo Anthony going forward is going to be very telling about his, his, um, his, his management acumen as well. So I think there's a lot to be seen from, from Phil as a – as an executive, although you're right, I think that there have been some positive signs. Uh, but I, I, I guess I just, and again, I'm not, you know, I'm not a lifelong Laker. I'm not. I haven't been around for 20 years, and so maybe, maybe that, maybe that skews my perspective on this a little bit. But I really don't understand why you wouldn't do something like, like the old Shea move, or just somebody else who has done a good job of like taking a team, building them to a contender, has shown a, a really strong grasp of. Of the CBA, of 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 applying, you know, you know, of, of getting creative. I think would probably be the best way of looking at it because I don't think the Lakers in the, in the last few years have really done anything that you could be categorized as really creative or progressive, and and they will get left behind if they kind of if they continue along that that road where it's more kind of hoping things come to them or or um, traditional models of thinking. Yeah, exactly. If if I think that they're learning some lessons the hard way about how the league has changed and the Laker way has to evolve a little just because, again, you, you can't pitch Los Angeles anymore. You, you you know, Greg Monroe's going to Milwaukee as a major free agent for a reason, you know, and it's winning and it's the fact that with social media and stuff, you don't need the market as much. It's Guys all love Los Angeles. They live here in the offseason, but, but they all live here in the offseason. Like, they, they're not just going to come here for that. They're going to come go to places they're going to win – I mean, let's be honest. The Lakers aren't getting Kevin Durant this summer because Kevin Durant, if if he leaves Oklahoma City, and I'm not at all convinced that happens, but if he were to leave, he is leaving for one thing and one thing only, and it's rings. And that's not happening in L.A. for a few years down the line. I think they run into that same problem with Horford or with a number of guys, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I do. I, think, I do think that their best bet, you know, conversations I've had with others, Looking forward to 2017. If, if they want to rebuild through free agency, Russell Westbrook's just the guy who's sitting out there to yeah. me that that almost you have to get. Like that's the guy that you you have to almost put your eggs in that basket and 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 come up with a very refined plan to convince him this is this is the place for him because he is a guy who I do think Los Angeles might matter for and is a guy who he's too good to be the second best player on his team and. And lo- he loves the big moment. He loves the 
row and just and all of that. And I think that's the sort of thing Russell Westbrook would absolutely go for. So I think 2017 is the year to really make a push in free agency. Set your sights on him. Don't come with you know a meeting talking about Showtime and 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 you know the things that he doesn't want to hear about. Talk about how and and honestly, if you go to Russell Westbrook with the pitch that you made to Lamarcus Aldridge, which was basically we are going to make you the biggest star in the world, which, I mean, the fact that they thought that was going to work on LaMarcus Aldridge to me is just mind-boggling. But with Russell Westbrook, it might. Yeah, and, and look, Russell, you're right. Russell Westbrook, I, I, you're not the first person to say, th- say this, whether it's the Lakers or someone else. He was always the guy more likely to get out of Oklahoma City and get out of the Midwest just mm-hmm. because of his personality and his draw into the bright lights. Um, but if you're going to get that guy, you've got to have a coach and a foundation and a system in place where – you know, look, I think you can sell, like you said, Westbrook on being a star and coming to L.A. as long as the team doesn't win 12 games next year. Right, right. <laughs> you know, it's um, – do you have any idea where they're going to go for a coach? I mean, are you talking – Luke Walton's obviously the name you hear, but are they going to go big name yeah, or are they going to the, go with the developmental name? The names you hear are, are Luke Walton, uh, Scott Brooks, Tom Thibodeau. I'm, I'm not – I'm not sold on Tom Thibodeau. I don't see Tom Thibodeau being a, a huge, obviously defensive, just genius. But I'm not sure that that he's going to implement a system that 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 works best with the players the Lakers have, and and, and it's going to start this immediate ascent. Um, Scott Brooks is out there, but I mean, a lot. The reason that people the reason people talk about Scott Brooks, it seems like, is they think that he's going to have some sort of pull for Kevin Durant. Is, are people still talking about that? That's whatever. I, I was always hearing when people would talk yeah. about Scott Brooks. And I just don't think that Sam Presti is that dumb, that he would fire the coach if 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 he meant that much to Kevin Durant, that Durant was just going to follow him wherever he went in the NBA. So I think that's kind of a fallacy. And Luke Walton's kind of the big one. Other, but other than that, I, you know, there are good coaches who are out there who have gotten fired. And Jeff Hornacek was doing a tremendous job in, in Phoenix before – Things kind of went sideways with, with 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 management and the Morris brothers, and I mean, can you imagine if Jeff Hornacek was running an offense for D'Angelo Russell and Jordan Clarkson and, yeah. and Julius Randle pushing the ball? But again, like that might be a little bit too. That's the sort of hire you don't see the Lakers making because it's not an established enough presence. I, you know, you know what I mean? Like a couple of years ago, when the Lakers hired Byron Scott, one guy who was out there was Quinn Snyder, who might be yep. coach of the year. Um, in, in Utah, but he was an assistant in Atlanta at the time, had previously been an assistant with the Lakers. They knew about him. They knew how great he was, but it's not really a Laker hire to go get kind of the, the bigger gamble assistant coach. It wasn't a splashy enough hire. So I wonder if that's still going to be part of the model of thinking when the time does come, whether it's this summer or next summer. Does it need to be, does it need to be a, I think those are the questions, does it need to be a, a big splash hire? Yeah. One, two, does it need to be somebody with Laker ties? Does that make it more palatable? Because Luke Walton, you know, kind of fits both categories. But, you know, Luke Walton also was was handed a gift in his first coaching experience. Yeah. Well, that's, I, you know, David Thorpe um, over at ESPN had a great line about, about Walton, which is like, what we know is that he can ride an extremely talented horse. Like, he can ride an elite horse to victory, which is... There is something to that, but that's a very different skill set than what's going to be asked of whoever the next Laker coach is. It's honestly why I think Scott Brooks might be the call. He gives you some splash. And for all the reasons they eventually let him go, um, and you may have to consider that down the line because he really couldn't get that team over the hump. He's not – you might want to get a better X's and O's guy with him you know, as an offensive guru and all that. That said, players loved him played hard for him, and he helped build that culture and build that team in Oklahoma City to what it was. Uh, he did get them to the finals once. Um, I think that in the sense of building something going forward, he, he can give you the splash and give you that, you know, he, he's been down that road. He's he's helped young players get a lot better. Uh, I, I, I agree with that. I don't see I don't see any strong argument against that. And obviously, he was the coach in Oklahoma City when, you know, as, as Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook and, and and James Harden were, you know, coming coming together and and he made them or he at least got a lot of the credit for them becoming yeah. you know, a team that went to the finals and, and that 
the number one thing is going to be asking the Laker coach, can you develop young players? Can you make them believe in a system? Can you get them to play together? And if you're if you're going through interviews asking those questions, Scott Brooks of anybody on the you know who we expect to be available can point to some of the biggest stars in the NBA and say yes. And here's when I did it. Yeah. And you, by the way, I was beating you guys occasionally. Yeah. You, you, <laughs> uh, they they got a good look at him. I think that that's the case. I. I, it's funny. I mentioned Quinn Snyder to, when I was talking about it the other night. I, I, I think he'd be a great get for them now. I still just don't, I don't even know if you, I don't know if you do it. I don't know if you can get him out of Utah. Like I don't know. I don't, I, I don't think so. I mean, I covered I covered the Jazz before, and and I uh, still have a lot of good relationships there. My understanding is, I mean, that that's almost the ideal situation in terms of you know a top down culture yeah. where they brought in they brought in um, Dennis Lindsay uh, as general manager from. Spurs, and, and then two years later, he hired a coach who fit his system. And they are, and the, and, and there's such um, uh, what is there's such synergy. There mm-hmm. it is, there's <laughs> such synergy with them that like they're truly building something that you know feels like they've got their young players who are all invested in the system. I would be shocked if, if you could get him out of there, um, and that's a problem. And that I don't think the Lakers have have are in a position where they can just go out and hire whoever they want, whether they're employed or not employed. They kind of have to go, go search the unemployment office just like everybody else these days. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They can't just pluck whoever they want out, and, and that's always not not always the worst. Look, they plucked, you know, yes, they got Pat Riley out of the booth, uh, you know, out of the color commentating booth, but much like Steve Kerr, those are kind of flukes. They're not the norm, but, they, you know, there are guys out there who can do this. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what direction they go. What is the plan for this summer in terms of, of team building? I mean, obviously they're going to try to get the meeting with Kevin Durant, and and I don't. Nobody around the league thinks he's going there, but the, you know they'll do the meeting. What is the plan? Is is it keep the pick hopefully, and and add young players, or, or what direction are they going to go? I think that it's probably it, well, and I think we're going to have to see how um, how how this how they decide to approach this just windfall of cash. But I think. I think that they'll probably try to maintain, you know, their flexibility. Not not a lot of multi-year deals. Um, I, I don't I don't I don't know I don't know if they're going to be interested in a guy like a Nicholas Batum, right? Who is yeah. is one of the most interesting guys on the market. Probably can help any team the most. But but it's like he's a guy you add to a playoff team to get to the next level, or to because you have all these other pieces now you need a. You know, a defensive player, a three and D guy. I don't know if, if that's the route they'll go. Where, it's, where you know, I think you could make an argument. Just getting better players is is going to really help you along the way. And the Lakers, the last two, three summers, have demonstrated all they really want to do is go for a big star. If they don't get that star to build around, then you basically punt and you and you do it much more piecemeal with smaller players, shorter term deals. See, see what materializes. And and I kind of think that they might. Turn the page on that a little bit. Where they, if there, if there are young players, they can get to kind of bring those guys in. I don't know, uh, like who's who's available this summer. Uh, DeRozan's available this summer. DeRozan right? is available this summer, and he has said he wants to stay. I've heard he kind of look. He's part of a. He likes playing in Toronto, but that's another guy who's an LA guy, who right. is a um, who then, grew up here, grew up a Laker fan, um, and and in Toronto, the Lakers. I will tell you. Are, they think they can keep him. You know, a he he said he wants to stay, but b I mean that's a that's a good team right now. Like they, that's the second best team in the East. Uh, if you can handle the weather, but they're going to call the Lake. I mean that's a call the Lakers should definitely right. make. And then I wonder about like a Hassan Whiteside. That's a position of need for the Lakers. I don't know. I don't know how. Yeah. How locked in he is in Miami. He seems like a guy who could potentially be on the move. Oh, he's going to be. He's, he's a free agent this summer. Money and, on. But I mean, look, yeah. the Lakers. Have to keep Jordan Clarkson this summer. They're going to match anything because he's not leaving um, as a restricted free agent. So he's coming back. But that's probably priority A. Priority B is draft well. And frankly, if you can't, if you don't keep your pick, probably find a way to get to get into the first round somehow. Right? I, I just can't imagine the Lakers at this point don't find a way to get to at least or to at least get a couple of draft picks, even if they're second rounders. To kind of try to build these young, this young core and add to it because that's what yeah. 
that's what the option is if you can't do anything in free agency. But it's not a it's not a super deep free agent class as it as it relates to what the Lakers' needs would be. Obviously, once you take Durant off the floor, the other top free agents you're looking at like Conley, you know, potentially Dwight Howard. Like that's not going to happen. Powell, that's not going to happen. Conley's Al not going to happen. I don't think helps them. Yeah. Conley, they've got a point guard. You don't want to bring in a, you know. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it, 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 unless it's a, unless it's Russell Westbrook in another year. And yeah, that's a different. Yeah. But you, but you don't you don't you don't go get like you know a top a top ten point guard to mess with D'Angelo Russell's head. What you do is you go get like potentially the, the next great player in the league, and then you figure out how to make them coexist. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, that's a different dynamic completely in it. It's also, it'll be interesting, it's not the deepest draft ever. It's not the, the scouts are not high on this draft. And that's, mm-hmm. th- those those ratings and those comments, they, they have missed before. They may miss again. There's always somebody, you know, down the draft who can do some, who can help. But, I mean, it's honestly, if, if somehow the Lakers got bumped out of this and then they got they kept their pick for 2017, that's not the end of the world. Like, that's a deep, that's considered a deeper draft right now. Um, right. So, but the problem is they don't want to be so... Like they don't want to be that bad next year, so exactly. um, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I, but I do think I do think that the, the retaining Jordan Clarkson is really kind of going to be the yeah. potentially the biggest move of the summer, and it's it's a little bit of a foregone conclusion, I think, um, because they have said privately that they will they will keep him at whatever cost. But but I think that will kind of set the tone for where they're going. How much does that cost? How much of that this it, this new this new salary cap will that will that will that eat up? Yeah. But this team's going to have a lot of money to spend, and I'd be pretty surprised if they didn't if they didn't at the very least have a couple of big time offers on the table. When you look at like a DeRozan, a Whiteside, maybe a Batum. I mean, I don't. I mean, the thing about a Batum is he's still relatively young, right? I mean, is he, yeah. is he thirty yet? Um, I would I have to look that up. But it, it's yeah, late twenties. I want to say he's more in his prime. Um, and there's going to be a lot of teams looking at him that you. Three and D guys have gotten paid the last. Damari Carroll, those type of guys, have gotten really paid the last few years. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, it's going to be interesting to see who they who they go after, who they can get. But a DeRozan, you know, fits in at the two, gives you something really interesting, incredibly athletic, um, and not a, you know not not the floor spacing shooter you're going to put next to Russell, but somebody who can who's going to want the ball in his hands a little bit still. You know, look, it, like you said before, I think for the Lakers at this point, it's it's about talent. Like, you just got to get more talent on the roster. Mm-hmm. Whether it's via draft or smart free agent moves or, or picking off, you know, I'd have to look at the list, but see who's who's a restricted free agent that you might be able to pick off, you know, uh, with a big Terrence offer. Terrence Jones is out there. Who? Terrence Jones is out there from Houston. See, he can a terrible get, year. Yeah, he, can, he might be able to get him at a price just if you want to roll the dice on him. Um, but, but... There's guys out there, you know, you try to pick off somebody young and build that core. And then, like you said, look, a year ago, nobody wanted to go. There was nobody was going to New York. Now, look, the Knicks are going to get meetings because of Porzingis, because of the draft, because of some of the stuff they've done, how much they lucked into that versus more smart. They got got incrementally better this year. Yes. They they did. They they, (laughs) they got better with even a Flalow and Robin Lopez, guys who, you know, were not going to make them a championship contender, but made them good enough that like they weren't unwatchable. No. No. And and now if you're think if you're a free agent, you know, again, I don't think Kevin Durant's going anywhere, but that Knicks meeting, you pause for a second and say, well, how good are we if I go there with Porzingis? You know, where does that put me in relationship to obviously the Cavaliers or the measuring stick over there? But it's a, it's a, you're going to stop and think about that more than you are right now. The Lakers, who are just way farther down that, that curve. Well, the, and I think the Lakers also need to potentially, as as they go to, go about filling out their roster, need to find some guys who make their young players better, who are solid players who aren't going to get in the way of of what Russell Clarkson, Randall are doing, and. You know, like Brandon Bass is one guy who I think has has really done that this yeah. year. But like, has Lou Williams made things easier for Jordan Clarkson and D'Angelo Russell? You know, I, I don't I don't think he has. Uh, I, so I think I think that that's something to really consider going forward as you as you as you fill out that roster next year. Yeah, and that's and that and that all comes back to the do they try to put together something that's going to win now to save their jobs discussion we had when if they if they honestly went that route they really could hurt the franchise long term. So. Uh, it's 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 going to be an interesting summer, and uh, maybe we can get back with you during the summer, Bill. And uh, 
Are you, I don't know. You probably will be out in, in sweltering in Las Vegas for summer league. I will uh, inevitably be uh, be in Las Vegas doing my best to stay inside in the middle of July. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, you, it's kind of like the uh, it's kind of like Toronto, but the opposite in the sense of like, yeah, I just want to go from my car to the to the hotel. I don't want to be outside, not because it's freezing cold, but because that that first night in Vegas or second night when you you know I'm at the games till ten or ten thirty whenever the last game ends and I walk outside and it's still a hundred degrees, just blows me away every time. So that's such a good point. This is this is like the year of extremes from from the NBA because you're gonna have summer league at one hundred and ten. All Star was negative twenty seven. Like, could they just have it all like like in in some nice temperate seventy five degree weather? Where is it always seventy five degrees and sunny, Kurt? I can't think of any oh, yeah, here. I, again, again, did did here. we not did we not discuss in the airport how the All Star game should should shuttle between Los Angeles, Miami, New Orleans, and maybe throw Phoenix or something in there? Honolulu. Honolulu. <laughs> I am all for. I am all for the first. Hawaiian All Star Game. I I think that's a brilliant idea. I'm I'm completely good with that. I'm I it's 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 better than the Mexico City idea that they were floating. Uh, nothing against Mexico City, but the 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 silver seemed to be floating during his press conference. So but good well, news is it goes really pressed why they wouldn't come to why they wouldn't go to uh, Asia for for an All Star Game. Yes. And and the answer was the logistics would be would be too tough. But Hawaii would be Kind of in the middle. Yep. You see, I like I like your thinking. I like I like where you're going with this. We need to find our way to have. We got. I, I can't believe we don't get sent to cover the Pro Bowl every year, just because it's a such an important event. Well, yeah. I mean, at, at the Orange County Register now with an NBA with an NFL team to cover. I think. I yes. Think we, I might be able to finagle my way in there. There you go. There you go. Are the Ram the Rams are still in the NFL, right? I think there's two University of Montana alums on that roster, so I have to, I have to be a fan. That's my alma mater. Uh, Grizzlies, right? Yeah, we got we got Trumaine Johnson as a is a cornerback, a although I think he might be a free agent, and Chase Reynolds, the running back from Drummond, Montana. Yep. As I like to say, Either my... shout out that you don't usually get on this podcast. Exactly. That's all right. My you know, Long Beach State is undefeated in basketball uh, in football since 1991 when they killed the program. <laughs> so there you go. Bill, thanks for doing this with me, and uh, we will. I, I, I'm sure I will see you soon, and we will love to have you back on down the line. And we'll be back Thursday with uh, more NBA talk from around the league on the Pro Basketball Talk podcast. Thanks. My pleasure, Kurt. Thank you. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.